It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Puckett drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown Raiders! It's hot by Cliff Branch. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch. All summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler play fake back to pass. Get the big rush. Otto cuts the man. Stabler throwing deep for Branch. He's got it to 20. The 10. Touchdown Raiders. What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. Thanks for coming back, JT. Hour number two today as we continue here Wednesday on what I think is a great flagship radio station, everybody. Raider Nation Radio, the summer of Cliff. We got off to a good start with it this week with a lot of content, a couple of guests. Again, today with some of the Cliff rejoins that you're hearing. Really want to thank Bobby, James Vega, and the entire team over at the Raiders for helping us along the way. Fantastic. I'm hitting the road after the show. Harry Ruiz will be in Thursday and Friday for me, and have a great 4th of July as we return this week. Uh, next week, excuse me, uh, tonight, Wednesday, is the season three finale of Open Mic Night inside the Shag Room starting at 8 p.m. at Virgin Hotels. Local musicians compete for a chance to win a gig at Virgin Hotels Las Vegas along with other prizes. It's a really big deal. You know how big music is to Virgin Hotels. Friday is the kickoff of 4th of July weekend at Virgin Hotels with a performance by Spite inside 24 Oxford Friday night with doors opening at 6.30 p.m. Sky D, Miles Bourbon and Blues inside the Shag Room starting at 10 p.m. this Friday. I see them often. They do a great job. And then the Beach Club, the Alive Beach Club featuring performances by Snoop Dogg. Doors open at 11 a.m. And this Saturday, Cassie Beach House, known for their Coastal Italian cuisine, along with amazing views of Virgin Hotels. Resort pools will feature DJ sounds from 11 a.m. to 12.30. And then, hey, please, everybody, July 4th, if you're looking for something to do, I'm working that night. But one steakhouse will have the Pop Rock Martinis and Casa Calavera, 4th of July. They're going to have the Gordita Burger and the bar at the Commons Club, featuring the drink of the summer presented by... Neutral Vodka Seltzer, and that's on the 4th of July. How about that? All of that is happening at Virgin Hotels coming up here. Let's kick off hour number two with Chris Myers from the NFL on Fox and NASCAR on Fox, my good friend who decided to join me for some summer radio. And, hey, Chris, yesterday I went on a deep dive about the 25th anniversary of Bite Night. Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, I want to start with you. What were your memories at that time? Because with your big broadcast career, were you there? What was that like? What were some of your memories 25 years ago yesterday? Yeah, it's funny, the timing. I, I was there in attendance, didn't have great seats. I was there as a fan with some friends who, who had an interest in going to Vegas uh, for other fun things, but it was still cool to see. And from in the seating arena, you couldn't really tell what was going on. And then obviously later working, interviewing Evander Holyfield, who was, I thought, classy uh, about it and it's got, as calm as one could be. But the story, JT, if you have a minute here, years later, mm -hmm. I'm working for Fox uh, Sports doing a one-on-one -on -one interview for Going Deep, a special one-hour show that did features. And, I, and I, I go to Vegas. This is Mike Tyson. We're doing this feature. He agrees to do it. It's after he had been in prison, so he's working on his comeback to his career. So this is years later from that incident. 
and he invites us poolside at his place in, in Vegas, and I'm sitting there across from him. And part of the feature was I would I collected a lot of the uh, the producer and the Sports Illustrated uh, photos or covers, I should say, that's kind of told about his career. Hey, you become a champ at 19. You this with Customato, and so I, I, the interview's going along rather well. And and then I, I I'm showing him these covers, and he's responding. You know, it's like, hey, what comes to mind when you see this, and what comes to mind. And so I, I went to the next chronologically, which was the, the ear biting of, of Holyfield in the order of this career of his, this amazing career even at the time, up and down. And as soon as I go to say, he, he, he sees this and, he's, and he just loses it. And I'm sitting, I don't know, maybe a few feet apart. And he, he says, you're trying to provoke me. I even had trouble saying the word. He was so upset, almost like, like spitting the words and lunging. He, he started swinging, like lunging at me out of his seat. And I, I mean, I, I, would, <laughs> I thought wow. I was done for. I, I had nowhere to go. I maybe jumped in the pool. That he, and, and, and so <laughs> thankfully, his two bodyguards that he had there for the camera shoot and our producer, uh, producer kind of stepped in front, in front of the camera, but his two bodyguards kind of hooked his arms and got, held him back. I mean, he got as close to my, uh, my face as possible without actually maybe biting me or, or landing a punch. And, and, and they calmed him down, and, and he just said, you know, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to aggravate me. You're trying to provoke me. And I said, no, I, 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 I was caught off guard. I, I, at first, I, I said I was just following, you know, this is part of, of your career. And then I, once we mm-hmm. calmed down, I said, look, if you, you, know, you don't want to answer the question, you know, just, just tell me. And, and I was ready to leave. I told him, I said, well, let's, let's pack this interview in and let's go. And, he's, and then he was like, no, 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 stay. Let's, let's finish. Let's talk yeah. about this. And, and, other, and, and, and once he calmed down, he made a little more sense. And he, later, he wouldn't let me leave. He gave me a tour of his house and got water for our drinks for our crew. Uh, but, but the essence of that anniversary, and something else came out of the interview separately, which I'll always remember, two things stood out that he, he said at the time when he was calm was that the, the, the places he felt the most comfortable were in prison and in the ring. And the other sad thing was that, again, this is Mike Tyson talking, that he really didn't know what the meaning of the word happiness was or meant or felt like he never had experienced that at that time, true happiness. So anyway, that, that was part of the interview once we got to finish, and, and they asked that we not show that part where he almost attacked me, uh, and that was okay because that wasn't necessary for the interview, and I, I didn't want to sensationalize things. But it's funny, with the anniversary of bite night and, and the ear biting, all of these things kind of, kind of come around and come to mind when you said, Hey, would you, would you hop on tonight? Chris Myers, what a story from the NFL on Fox. All right, let's move on. I'm a Baker Mayfield guy. I really think he was done poorly by Cleveland, you know, rookie touchdown record, led him to the playoffs, played injured last year. Yeah. The interceptions were up, but through four years with a rookie extension, potentially or picking up his rookie option, they threw him to the curb, and then they made maybe the worst financial decision in Browns history, $230 million guaranteed for Deshaun Watson. Baker made it clear at a football camp in Oklahoma that both sides have moved on. So is Baker taking the high road here? And, Chris, why isn't there more interest from Seattle, Houston, Carolina to bring him in right around the start of camp so he can be a franchise quarterback? Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that that even teams at age 27, uh, Baker and and look, he he, he has shown and I, I have been around, covered some of his games, been in production meetings, been at practice with him as a pro uh, through all of the ordeal in Cleveland. By the way, the Browns are really I don't I, I don't mind them being aggressive and going for the big play. They've totally blown this. 
the way they went about it. And, and still, we don't know. And we can go to the Deshaun Watson chapter in a moment. But even teams like the, the Giants and the, and the Saints, who, who have some quarterbacks that they're not quite sold on, I mean, where you look at Baker in the four years, uh, he played full seasons twice. He only missed, what, two games in each of the other seasons. I, I think, you know, forget quarterback rating. People don't care. It's touchdowns to interceptions, and it, it's running an offense. And I, I think he still is, a, a different from college, but a guy that can lead an offense. He really hasn't had a, a lot of – now, again, they had some talent with the running game this year, but he had some injuries, and that changed things. His best year was the year before – uh, when the when the team did a lot better and and he had had the best numbers, he's got to increase the the, the touchdown to to ratio and the completion percentage has to come up a little bit. But but I am with you when you look around at some of the teams who have quarterbacks or haven't had established superstar. I think he still has the potential uh, to to be mm-hmm. better and has the desire and the work ethic to do that with the right system and with the right coaching. So I, I think it's going to happen. This is a this is a bad relationship that's gone. I mean, he, they can't repair it. And Cleveland has put themselves if they think. Kobe Brissett is going to step in and, and handle anything, even with some talent on that team. They're fooling themselves, and it, it could be an indefinite suspension with, with Watson. It could be an entire season. I mean, this could, and even the the word being handed down may not come for for a while. It could be days. I know what's going on right now, but uh, I'm with you on on Baker Mayfield. He needs to get out of Cleveland, and I know they're talking about, hey, would somebody take his salary? I think he will be by the time we get somewhere, but the Browns can't think that he's going to hang around or that they can lean on him if things go south because it's over between those two. Chris Myers, the NFL on Fox. Let's move to the NFC West. When Jimmy Garoppolo's still up in the air after rehabbing through his injury, you you hear different reports about Trey Lance. Great athletic ability, but he hasn't played football in years, really at a consistent level due to COVID in college, and he got a few opportunities last year. And Kyle Shanahan's a hell of a play caller, and your friends with John Lynch should go back a long way. If that kid doesn't come in and hit the ground running quickly, they have a Super Bowl roster on both sides of the ball. Geno Smith and Drew Locke aren't the answer in Seattle, and everybody's chasing the Rams, who locked up Aaron Donald and seemed to be as strong as they were when they won the Super Bowl. How do you see that division? Yeah, and, and the Cardinals are a bit of a mystery and wild card, and Kyler Murray just he just hasn't shown. You know, the level of greatness is you can't just do it every other week or once in a while. you got to be consistent, and that's where guys – like Brady or Rogers uh, separate. So look, I've seen Kyle Shanahan win games with Nick Mullins and, and CJ Beathard at, at quarterback. And uh, it's an awkward, we just talked about Cleveland and this is an awkward situation that they're in. I, I think that they're willing to trade Garoppolo. He has to be healthy. He's coming off shoulder injury. He's had an injury history, but he has been to a Super Bowl, And what he did last year was pretty impressive as well, being somewhat injured. So I, they, they're not sold on Lance. I think they'd like to be, and I think they want to force the issue, but they need to have some, some backup there as well. And it, is Garoppolo, can they afford that luxury, or will somebody make a move and trade for him in the meantime? I think that that cuts into the 49ers' opportunity, based on what you just said, to, to challenge the Rams. Look, they were right there, and they've had their number, except for that championship game, head-to-head. But but I think the wear and tear on this quarterback situation, even with the roster and the talent and the defense they have, is going to work against the 49ers and an NFC West that has come down a notch now in terms of overall, we used to say, hey, best division in football. I mean, after the Rams, who, as you said, look strong and look like a favorite in that division, and I, I don't see them losing that top spot. 
uh, the Niners are kind of missing their opportunity by not being set here, either at believing in Lance or having a healthy set Garoppolo that is a team guy who's ready to go. That's another relationship that seems a little bit in disrepair, even though they're both taking the high road. Wrapping it up with Chris Myers. Chris, this Yankee team in New York will get to both teams. The Yankees are on pace to be the greatest Yankee team of all time. And I'm a Yankee fan, as you know. I don't believe that. Yes. I think they got a lot of flaws. They strike right. out a lot. They've been very fortunate, and that's great that they're winning a lot of these games. But they remind me of like an NFL team that won four games on walk-off field goals. Eventually, that's going to come back to the pack. Judge didn't get the contract extension. Cole can dominate, but at times get blown up. Uh, Chapman is a mess on the back end, but the pitching's been good. What What is everybody saying in the world of baseball, which you follow closely? Is this one of those once-in-a-generation Yankee teams that are coming up and we should all be locked in? Yeah, I'm with you on on, on the roster. It's a different roster. They, they, their defense plays a little better. I, I think they're running the mm-hmm. bases a little bit more than a Yankee team. I, I think the flaw, and you hit on some, some pitching concerns, and look, Houston's a very – uh, and I'm surprised that the Astros get the kind of pitching they do, but they make it work. And they, the Astros have lost players over the years like Springer and, and Correa. And we just saw, I, I thought that had the makings of an ALCS, the Yankees and Astros. But I, most people, uh, JT, this season, again, we're talking before July, they, they see the Yankees, they are the team to beat. They're as good as that record is. And I know you're, you're being skeptical or hesitant or reticent about uh, being a, a Yankee fan. But I, I, my concern there is still a large, which at 1.50% of their runs come from home runs. There's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. except that I often see that in the postseason where really good pitching takes that out yeah. of it. And you got to do the other things. So they've shown the ability to do that here, but we're in late June. So they're the team to beat, in my opinion, based on what I've seen this year in the American League and the people I've talked to who uh, we have at, at Fox Sports, the analysts and those who are out covering the games. And uh, uh, it's just, it, it, will that pitching, you know, hold up? The, the bullpen, they've gotten some surprising performances out of there, but they usually are okay in, in that department. And that division, which is a very tough division, I really thought we could have, you know, three other teams after the Yankees with the three wildcard teams get in, in, uh, in Boston and, and Toronto and the Rays. And even though if they beat each other up, I still think that might happen based on the weakness in the West after Houston and the, the Central. And the White Sox have been a, a major disappointment, and now Cleveland is stumbling as well. And finally, uh, my podcast partner, our friend Tom Looney, went and saw the Elvis movie, gave it a 9 out of 10, set Academy wow. Award nominations all over the place. Right, will that be on your docket? Will you get out there to see the Elvis movie? We just had Top Gun Maverick. What's on the movie calendar for Chris Myers this summer? Uh, well, I've always been uh, an Elvis guy. In fact, I've been looking for him for, for years. <laughs> you know, when Jerry Glanville would leave tickets for him at football games. I'm kidding. By the way, the offer that you, you know, the, the series you talked about, you recommended was, was spot on. Have you seen yes. a movie about the real Bob Evans called, uh, and it was, it's been out for, I don't know, six or eight years, maybe more than that. Uh, the kid stays in the picture. It, it, it's it's it almost, and it came out long before the offer, but it has a lot of the same things. You got to rent it or, or look for it or find yes. it. Uh, yes, the kid stays in the picture. It's the real story of Bob Evans. And he talk, God, there's a narration about about him doing it, his life, and this is part of it, which is fascinating. I think you ought to check that out. Um, as far as what's on the horizon, I, I don't know. I just I, I wish they'd make some, some new movies. You know, <laughs> Top Gun's great and uh, another Jurassic World point, whatever. Uh, but I, I wish there was a, a fresher approach to things, which is why li- live sports does so well. But this is this is kind of the downtime in terms of in between before we get to to the NFL. So I'll I'll be looking for anything you recommend. But if it, hey, if Looney says uh, Elvis <laughs> is that good, the movie nine out of ten, go then, then I gotta go see it. Yeah, I will. 
Thank you, Chris. We'll follow you on Twitter and on Instagram. Thanks for joining me as always. I appreciate you. All right. Take care. Don't get Tyson angry, whatever you do. We'll do that, Chris. No doubt about it. There's a lot to see out there. A lot of good movies. And again, Looney and I did a brand new podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, download it. JT and Looney, and we talked about Brittany Griner, NBA free agency. And Looney went on a great deep dive on the movie Elvis, which I cannot wait to see. Cannot wait to see that. Olden Polonese, one of my favorite guests, will join us a little bit later on. We'll talk to him about Jalen Brunson and the rumors that he will go to the Knicks and NBA free agency. As the summer of Cliff Branch begins, found out yesterday that I'll be in Canton, Ohio from the Wednesday through the Sunday. Wednesday through Sunday in Canton, Ohio. That'll be my longest run ever as the Raiders play on Thursday night in the Hall of Fame game. The Cliff Branch induction on Saturday, the party Saturday night. And a sea of silver and black in Canton, Ohio. More on the summer of Cliff next week. Harry Ruiz in for me Thursday and Friday as we continue on the flagship of the Raiders. Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Well, first of all, toughness. Toughness and then health issues. Can he stay healthy? Can he compete at a high level? Those are the two things that are important. JT, welcome back as we continue Wednesday here on Raider Nation Radio. I want to thank all of our partners this week, especially Resorts World, where you can find Doghouse Saloon. You park for free, you come in, you walk into Doghouse, you can place your bets. You can watch sports, you can watch country music, live entertainment, fantastic. And it's right next to their theater where Carrie Underwood performs and all the great acts like Katy Perry, Doghouse, and Resorts World, a proud partner of our show. Olden Polonese is coming out for NBA Summer League in July. He joins us again. I thought we were going to give you a break, Holden, but we're using you up here because of all the NBA news. Free agency starts tomorrow on Thursday, and there's a lot of news today. Olden, it's about opting in or opting out. Wouldn't you like to opt in for a 36 or $47 million opt-in? Yeah, well, it is what it is. So I'm happy for all these guys getting their money. And, you know, I'm sure the, the, the gentleman that played in the 50s and 60s said the same thing when I was getting, you know, a $350,000 a year contract. <laughs> so it, it's all relative, so. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Olden, but the, the question is, you got two of the greatest 75 players of all time that and definitely when we look at what Harden could be, but we got Russell Westbrook first. Let's start with him at $47 million. What does it say about a player that in the lifetime of his deal could secure that type of money, but then when he finally gets that money, no one wants him and no one wants to pay him that money? Well, he got that money for previous work, you know, three straight mm-hmm. years with triple doubles. So, you know, when the contract is done, that was a few years back, and then this is the end of it. And so I understand how it's working. He's got a very good agent. But at the same time, you know, the problem with Russell Westbrook is not Russell Westbrook. It, it was the offensive scheme, you know, that Frank Vogel was running and the fact that I think he, he bought into a lot of the stuff that people were saying about him. And unfortunately for a a great player like that, you know, that's something you don't do. You don't get caught up in what people are saying about you. You you really have to have that tunnel vision and just say, you know, I'm focused on me and me only. And he, I believe he fell into that trap and it, and it affected his play because he's, 
still a really, really good player. And I don't I don't understand why people all of a sudden they down on Russell Westbrook. He just needs to be in the right system. Got it. Let's move on to Kyrie. No surprise that he opted in for $36 million. He really didn't have any other options. Can't believe that some people spend time wondering if he would take six and a half, seven million million to be a Laker and leave that much money on the table. No way, no how. But do you think there's still a possibility that there could be something we're missing, Olden, a sign-and-trade? Now they lock him up and maybe there's a deal coming down the pipe or he stays there with Durant and tries to give it a go next year? Oh, no. I, I, I'm putting it on the books. Kyrie's going to be traded. He had to really? opt in. Just, just like Russell Westbrook had to opt in. So they had to have all the components in place for the signing trades. It's going to happen because he cannot go back to Brooklyn at all. You know, with what happened with the COVID and him not playing and what happened with the Nets, you know, the comments they made after the season, stuff he said to Steve Nash. It, it's There's just too much baggage. And I don't believe that the Brooklyn Nets are willing to go another year with this madness because we still don't know what's going to happen with him. Like, you know, how's he going to play, you know, mentally? How's he going to fit? Because I know for certain he and Steve Nash do not get along. And so to me, I think, and it's irreparable. So they're going to have to make a move. And both parties had to, you know, pick up the options to make the trade uh, viable. All right, then I got to follow up with Olden Polonies. And what does that do to Durant if it turns out that Kyrie is one of the best handles and guards in all of basketball is moved in a big blockbuster deal and Durant doesn't like it? What is that going to do for Durant in Brooklyn? Durant will leave as well. Um, I don't wow. think Durant's okay. in it for, for a rebuild. He's, he is not in it for a rebuild. And you also got to remember, they're not going to do it with just two of them. And Ben Simmons, we don't know what's going to happen with him. You know, I don't even know if he's ever going to play again because it's like this back and all the other issues, the psychological aspect. And I don't mean to minimize that, but I'm just saying it is what it is. He's he's professed to having, you know, issues, you know, mentally and what's it going to take for him to get right? We don't know that. And that's an ongoing saga. So it's just a mess right now with Brooklyn. Olden Bolognese, 15 years in the league, great analyst, uh, joins us. And Olden, I'm, I'm pretty amazed at what's going on with this Nick rumor as they're clearing cap space. They're making trades to make a run at Jalen Brunson. And when you look at this deal, he played well. He averaged over 21 in the playoffs. He had a couple of big, high-profile games in the postseason. But do you believe he could be the franchise player for the Knicks and the Knicks are that desperate to go all in with him? No, I don't. And I, and I say this with all due respect. You know, I like Jalen. You know, his dad and I, we know each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Great player. Um, very, you know, up-and-coming guy. But he has to remember one simple thing. You're getting this right now because of the other guy on your team, Luka Doncic. And mm-hmm. so sometimes, you, you know, you have to, like, really be realistic with yourself. You know, you might get open shots and everything else based on who you're playing with. And so when you decide to leave to go get the money, it's not the same thing now where, where all the pressure is on you. And I, we've seen that in the past with a lot of individuals when they leave a team to go get money and get paid, which is what you're supposed to do because everybody's in the business to get paid. 
You know, regardless of what people say about winning and championships, everybody's trying to get paid the most money that they can, maximize everything. But Jalen Brunson going to the Knicks with that fan base and the expectations, bad business. I would stay in Dallas and work on that situation and have – because now, you know, you can be the number two to Luka, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, but – Again, it's. I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to take the New York um, contract, and we're going to see. Now you're going to be the man, and expectations are going to be really high. Are you going to step yeah, up or the, not? The, the expectations would be really, really high, but, again, he's not going to turn down the bag, as everyone says. Do you believe that Bradley Beal could re-sign with the Wizards for five years, 248. And there's another guy. I don't, I'm not going to say I disrespect Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal. I didn't play in the league. You did. That's why I have you on and ask you these questions. But isn't there a point where the money's more to stay on an inferior team and it's significantly more than to leave and try to be a number two for Beal instead of being a one and taking less money but having a better chance to win? It's probably a really tough decision because the money's so enormous. Exactly, and that's what, and that's the dilemma a lot of these guys have. It's like, do I stay here and try and make it work, you know, go somewhere else for less money and win, or get a ton of dollars, but I'm not going to win? And again, that's why I say most of these guys are not thinking about winning; they're thinking about the financial aspects. And it's unfortunate that we've gotten to this point. Again, I don't mind guys getting paid. But I do believe we've kind of like overreached on these contracts. And so now you're getting guys, I mean, guys averaging five points getting $15 million a year is absurd to me. You know, I can go get those guys. If I'm a general manager, I can go get guys to give me five points or more and pay them less. So, again, get what you can get. But at the same time, I just I don't like it because, you know, it's not – it's not forcing guys to really play, you know, other than for a contract, you know. And so that's what we're seeing. Guys put one good year. Just like with, with Brunson. I mean, he only averaged 16 points a game. Now, if he was averaging 35, I would say, oh, my God, yes, go get him. He's a go-to guy. He averaged 16 points a game and 21 during the playoffs. That's not, that's not a franchise guy, in my opinion. Olden Polonese. Olden, I'm really struggling with Brittany Griner here. I tweeted out and I said this, that there's no, there's no time being spent by national media. There's not enough time being spent talking about her being detained in Russia. I tweeted out that ESPN.com didn't even have her in her headlines of their top 10 stories. And it was actually a newsworthy time for her. as She was brought in to a court date and it looks like she could be convicted. She could be in jail for 10 years all for bringing a vape pen. Now, it wasn't heroin. It wasn't cocaine. Russia's in the middle of an aggressive, horrific war with Ukraine where they're the aggressor. And Brittany Griner's sitting in a jail cell, and she's coming out with handcuffs on and being paraded out there like propaganda, Russian propaganda. You went on a hunger strike. You know about politics, global politics. What needs to happen here with our State Department, our president, Adam Silver, everybody around here who has a voice to help her get out? Well, everybody's saying just enough to where they don't you know, get in trouble, so to speak. And to me, this is horrific because you're right. It's a vape pen. And 
okay, is she guilty of that? Maybe, maybe not. We don't even know. But to keep holding her and keep extending her stay, you know, now they talk about it's been extended six months. That's absurd to me. And so, and people always tell us, well, stop making a racial thing. But I'm saying to myself, if if it was Tarazi or somebody like that, they would have been out a long time ago. And so I'm just saying, you know, maybe there's not, is you know we don't need to really rush into this or whatever but i don't like how it's playing out because it's making us the u.s look really bad right now that we're allowing this to happen and now if they're trying to make a trade make the trade i mean come on y'all we're making too much of this right now this young lady did nothing you know that she needs to spend 10 years in prison for in russia that's absurd to me i, I know they have I their agree. own laws and everything else but again if she was a different complexion, she would have been back here by now. So you really believe if she's a female all-star, if another white all-star a female player was there, she would have been out by now? I, I would just disagree with you, and I'd say if it was a male NBA player, high profile, I think th- there would have been more aggressive ways to get that player out. I would agree with that, but I don't know. I, I think this is so complicated because Russia's in the middle of a war, which they've been losing at times. They've been getting their ass kicked at times. And I don't think they want to do anything to help the United States who are arming the Ukrainians, which really gets political here. But I just can't believe we're not doing more for her in the media, Olden. You're in the media. You're a guy with the big voice. Do you agree with me that more shows should be talking about this? Uh, you know, from CNN to Fox News is one thing. But, but what about sports radio shows and other people being more sympathetic to her and her wife and the plight she's going through? Well, I do believe that um, we should be talking about it more, but it's not happening. And I, unfortunately, mm-hmm. don't have, you know, the control to make people do what they want, you know, what needs to be mm-hmm, done. And it's unfortunate. It goes to show you. But to go back with what you said about if it was a male athlete, you're right. I agree with you. And it goes to show us where our importance lies. You know, and it's unfortunate. I'm like, I've always said this. We all, everybody on this planet, has their <laughs> foundation from a woman. We all came out of one. But yet we mistreat women and we do all kinds of stuff you know, against women. And it's, it, it baffles me when I think about it. But at the end of the day, you know, this is politics playing out. And I try to, you know, I've done my time as far as like with the politics. And I've just seen that nothing really works. You know, people talk about it. They talk a good game, but no one's willing to do anything, you know, to really help situations unless it benefits them. And right now, I just don't think that people see, you know, if we get Brittany Griner out right now, how does it benefit us? And so until that happens, then, you know, she's unfortunately going to be in this situation. Nicely said. I think you nailed it there. Who does it benefit now? Who should be working overtime to get her out? I just think it's a story that's so big globally, and everybody should be praying for her in Russia at this time for her being incarcerated and it doesn't look like she's getting out anytime soon. Olden, always appreciate your insight. Talk to you. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thank you. I appreciate Olden saying that again about Brittany Griner. It's a tough, it's complicated to figure out what's going to happen with her. But I'm doing my part. I'm tweeting it out, talking about it on the radio. Probably should be talking about it more. Uh, Vegas is a WNBA town, as we know, and a lot of the women who play for the Aces are very concerned about Brittany Griner because it could have happened to any one of them. And Brittany decided to play over in Russia to make more money. 
because economically, a lot of these female basketball players would like to make more money. They don't have a long season, and they do it overseas, and she made a mistake. She made a mistake in a foreign country, and all it is is a mistake. She didn't hurt anybody, and the Russians should let her go. They should let her walk right out as they're on with their war in the Ukraine, which is unjust. That's about most politics I'll give you, but this is a political story on why the Russians don't have their eye on Brittany Griner. They have it on Ukraine, and they don't want to do us Americans any favors. JT, Raider Nation Radio, as we continue on. Harry Ruiz in for me tomorrow. Uh, Check out what we're doing on the Facebook page. Excited to take my son, and we're going to drive out to some radio in Los Angeles for a little bit, and then we're going to shoot down to San Diego and be down there for the weekend. Back for the 4th of July, as I'll be on the radio throughout the 4th of July. We won't be on Raider Nation Radio. We have off that day, but I'll be on Sirius XM if you want to get your Raider fix and your sports radio fix on the 4th of July. JT on the flagship of the Silver and Black, brought to you by Grimaldi's. Head to Grimaldi's over the 4th of July. Get it to go. Get it to go and have pizza in your backyard and celebrate our country on the flagship of the Silver and Black. I ran a 4-2-40, yes. Uh, back in the 70s and stuff, like when I got drafted by the Raiders, we didn't have a combine. So um, scouts would come into the university, like scouts participating in four years. I got time at 4-2. JT, all right, let's keep it going here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Lot I want to get to a couple of articles that I read. But first, I want to compliment Clay Baker and Vinny Bonsignor. I was listening to him this morning. Got a workout in, running some errands, and I caught about 20 minutes of their show earlier today, and they made a really interesting point that I wanted to bring up, and it's a really important point, about the communication Derek Carr is having with Josh McDaniels. And I even heard them take a call, and uh, the caller from Oakland was kind of getting at Vinny for saying Patriots way. I've said Patriots way. Patriots way has won six Super Bowls. Six Super Bowls. So I'm not going to shy away from saying Patriots way when necessary to bring up a topic that I think connects to the Josh McDaniels years or Belichick years. Why wouldn't I? That, that's how, what's how, what we do in radio. We use examples to see what the comparables are, right? We have comparables. We look at a team. We watch them play. The Warriors, 1-4 of 8. Who do we compare them to? And then what teams need to do to become the Warriors? And the Raiders... Mark Davis hired Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels because he liked the structure and the winning that was done in New England under the Patriots' way. No one should be running away from that. Now it's the Las Vegas Raiders' way, and it's going to have to evolve because we haven't seen it yet. And that's okay. We're in no rush. But the point that Vinny made, which was outstanding, and he's made it a number of times, and I've also said it, is that what Josh McDaniels is going to be great at and what he's going to be famous for if he ends up winning and winning a Super Bowl is evolving the game plan from week to week. And Vinny really hammered down on this topic, and I thought it was great. I texted him about it because what's going to happen, and nothing against former coaches, Jack Del Rio, John Gruden, guys I liked a lot. I thought they were very good coaches, game plans, especially Gruden, with his wizardry with offense and play calling, sometimes better than others. But, you know, I've always been a fan of what he can do as an offensive play caller. But what Josh McDaniels is going to do, Raider Nation, better than any coach that we've seen, 
And again, all due respect to Coach Flores and Madden, Coach Madden had a team that could do whatever he wanted it to do. They ran the ball. They didn't throw it much. They did when they had to. Going back to Stabler, they ran behind Archell and Gene Upshaw, and they ran a lot. And then when they needed to pass, Stabler had guys wide open because they ran the ball so efficiently. All great Raider teams were known for running the football downhill. Now, with Josh McDaniels, you could see this is a running back heavy offense. That running back room is loaded on the depth chart, absolutely loaded. And there's a bunch of guys who can pound it in the hole, break out outside, Zeus with Josh Jacobs. They can do a lot of different things here. But the offensive line is an elite. So they're going to, I believe, have to pass it in critical plays more than run the ball. Because other than running the ball behind Colt Miller, what is the lock? Running it up the middle? Running it behind Leatherwood? Not as of today it is, but running behind Colt Miller and I think other defenses will scheme that. But back to Vinny's point. Josh McDaniels is going to change the playbook and change the feel of the offense from week to week, especially on a short week, right? The Rams game is on Thursday night, a short week. There's two games in four days. You can see two completely different game plans, and I love that. I think that's going to be the strength of the Raiders. If the Raiders are playing a game, they play Arizona, and they beat Arizona at home. Then they're going to go to Nashville. It could be absolutely a different game plan. It's not going to be what worked in the victory. Let's say in the Arizona game, the home opener, Derek Carr throws for 330 yards, three touchdowns, two to Devontae Adams, one to Hunter Renfro. Everyone's going to say, hey, man, that worked great. Let's do it again. He might do something completely opposite. McDaniels might say the advantage in playing Tennessee is running the football. So we're going to run it 30 times, and that's going to set up uh, first downs and play actions and do it that way. So I love that. I wanted to point it out today. It was very good radio, as Vinny and Clay pointed that out, and Vinny hammered that point home to a caller who was questioning his comments on the Patriot way. The caller didn't want to hear about the Patriot way. Vinny's pretty sharp. Vinny uses that because he's trying to make it clearer to everyone on the radio about the difference between the old regime with the Raiders, what he believes Josh McDaniels is going to do with the new regime. Not all of this is going to work, everybody. Not every play is going to work. Not every game plan is going to work. But Josh McDaniels has a drawer in his office of every single game plan with Tom Brady that worked. And a lot of times, Josh McDaniels made Tom Brady look good. Everybody thinks that Tom Brady made Josh McDaniels. How about all the times Josh McDaniels called the right play for Tom Brady against a team where they had a great game plan and everything worked out well and it was easier for Brady? Not easy, but easier. And hopefully that's the case with Derek Carr. So the other thing I wanted to hit on here was pro football focus. They came out with their secondary rankings. And I said, oh boy, here we go. Who wrote it? Michael Renner wrote about the secondaries, rated all 32 teams. And when I opened up the article in the app, I knew that the Raiders were going to be either from 25 to 32. Because first off, they don't have a great secondary. And they have to prove to writers and pro football focus. Remember, pro football focus grades every play. So you could get upset with them, but they kind of know what they're doing because they put all these plays and games through the wash over and over. And then they come out with analysis and grades, and it's usually good. So here's what they did. They came out with the secondary rankings, if you didn't get a chance to see this, at pff.com. And number one was Baltimore. And that jumped out at me because Baltimore was injured last year, and the Raiders beat Baltimore in the home opener. 
in the overtime game, in the walk-off touchdown to Zay Jones. That was a big win, huge win. Anytime you could beat Baltimore and John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson, that's a great win. So the Ravens were ranked number one because they have Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey at cornerback, Kyle Fuller at the nickel, Chuck Clark at safety with Marcus Williams. And that is a great secondary. That's number one. I agree with that. Number two, Tampa Bay with what they have. Uh, Sean Murphy Bunting, Antoine Winfield Jr., Mike Edwards. They're really good. Carlton Davis, at cornerback. So they're number two. Then I started scrolling. So I got all the way to number 10. At number nine, it was the Rams. At number 10, it was the Bengals. So let's stop there. Bengals beat the Raiders in the playoffs. Bengals went to the Super Bowl. Eli Apple is their starting quarterback. He's got awful, but he did play well in the playoffs. And Jesse Bates, the third is good, and Von Bell at safety. And they wrote, the Bengals have built their secondary exactly how we would at PFF by giving themselves a ton of flexible options. So they're at number 12, uh, 10, excuse me. So I start scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I get to 20, the New York Giants. That jumped out at me because Patrick Graham was the defensive coordinator. Now he's the defensive coordinator of the Raiders. And they have Adoree Jackson, Aaron Robinson, and uh, Julian Love at safety, and Xavier McKinney, who's really good. And remember the situation with Bradbury leaving, which is a big deal here too. So they have really good safeties, and they think, so they're at 20. So now I'm looking for the Raiders. Anywhere where I see the Raiders in the early 20s, I'm feeling good. 21, the Dallas Cowboys. Then at the tier four, four, tier four, they have the teams that are under serious flaws. At number 22, Atlanta. Number 23, Indianapolis. Number 24, Washington. Number 25, Detroit. Number 26, New England. So I stop at New England at 26. Malcolm Butler, Jalen Mills, uh, Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, and Devin McCourty. So we know how good New England's been on defense over the years. So they're not there. So now the Raiders are not in the top 26 secondaries, according to Pro Football Focus, and I'm getting a little bit worried. 27 is Arizona. 28 is Pittsburgh. And there it is. Pro Football Focus 29 the Las Vegas Raiders. You want to know what they said? First off, this is the depth chart that they put in. Trayvon Mullen, Rocky Sin, Nate Hobbs, Jonathan Abram, and Trayvon Merrick. Exactly how I have it. Exactly the way you should have it, and that's the depth chart. This is the comment that Pro Football Focus said on the Raiders secondary. While the Raiders' defense took a healthy step forward in 2021, the worrisome thing is that the man who was most responsible for that isn't walking through the door anymore. Casey Hayward Jr. allowed only 388 yards in 17 games last season. Trayvon Mullen Jr. has allowed more than that, 401 in his past nine. So Pro Football Focus believes that the Raiders have the 29th best secondary in football, and the only teams that are worse are Seattle, the Bears, and the Texans. So after they were pretty hard on the Raiders' offensive line, pro football focus is pretty tough on the defensive secondary. Now, I'll tell you the, what I'm optimistic about with the Raiders' depth chart here. If it turns out that the Raiders are in this boat, I'll take those guys. I'm really good if they can stay healthy. It's important that they stay healthy. That would mean Trayvon Mullen would prove that he has to be on the field and healthy. Rocky Asin, they traded for him and let go of Yannick Ngakwe and got him. He's got to be great. 
because he's taken over for Casey Hayward. Then we get to Nate Hobbs, who I think Nate Hobbs is really good in the slot, and maybe he can evolve into being a starting corner. If Mullen isn't up to it and doesn't prove that he can play and stay healthy, could Hobbs make that transition and be a starting corner? Then we have Trayvon Merrick, who I'm a big fan of, and then the X-Factor, Jonathan Abram. Can Jonathan Abram play consistently at a high level in the passing game, not tackling the run, but in the passing game to show that much improvement? From what I'm hearing, Jonathan Abram has improved in the community. He's improved as a football player. I think he understands the importance of this training camp and what it's going to mean for him to be a starter on this team and keep his job in Las Vegas. This is it for Jonathan Abram. He's got to be great, or he's got to be very good or vastly improved, and I think he can do that. So that's another thing I wanted to mention again. You, know, you read these positive articles. We play these positive sound bites. Everybody is in love. It's a big kumbaya. We love the new coach. We love the quarterback, Devontae, the old roommate from college. All of that is great, and it's all accurate. But when you look outside and you start listening to other people talk about the issues of the Raiders, secondary and offensive line, everything else seems to be damn good. Running back, tight end, receivers, quarterback, defensive pass rush, and linebacker. Not great, but very good with Perryman as a pro bowler. And the special teams gets a very high grade. So that's what I wanted to tell you about Pro Football Focus. If you want to go look at the article, go ahead and look at it as we continue here on a beautiful Wednesday. Uh, We're off for the 4th of July, and we'll be back on July uh, 5th. And we're going to have a lot of great programming as the summer of Cliff continues. Uh, Found out, as I said, I'll be in Canton from Wednesday to Sunday. Getting in on the Wednesday of Canton and leaving the Sunday after the big event there. want to thank our great friends, one of our proud partners here now, Always pumping them up for what they do for us. M Resort Spa and Casino. Head on out. They got a lot going on. Concerts, great events. I'm tweeting it out all the time. Find me at M in the Raiders Tavern and Grill out at the pool. Getting the whip or all their great restaurants that they have. If you're a Raider fan, you know that the official hotel of the Silver and Black is M Resort Spa and Casino. JT, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM.